Let me read. Guys, can y'all just go ahead and stand up? <laughs> Matthew 16. I just can't do it. I just... Matthew 16. Go ahead and get there. I'm going to start a series today, and I'll be real with you. In case you hadn't already figured it out, I hadn't preached in a few weeks. I'm ready to go. Uh, I stretched my legs a little bit first service, and uh, I probably will do the same this service. I mean, I obviously haven't already, but um, I'm going to take my time. I, I know that we have agendas for the day, and that's okay, but I want to take some time to set the foundation for where we're going to go over the next few weeks. So we're starting a series today called We Are Lifehouse. Not I am Lifehouse, not you are Lifehouse, but we are Lifehouse. We're in this together. Uh, Matthew chapter 16, I want to go to where the church was conceived. The church was born in Acts chapter 2, but I believe the church was conceived in Matthew chapter 16. This is what the scriptures say with verse number 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Which is, let's be real, the, this is the most important question that you will ever ask yourself. Not who do people say, but who do I say Jesus is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, and he's, points in, he's pointing his finger at them. Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Or you are the Christ the son of the living God. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. You, you got this from divine revelation. You didn't figure it out. You didn't rationalize it out. You didn't uh, you know, deduce this, but my Father in heaven gave you this revelation. Verse 18, he says, And I will also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. I'm grateful that he did not say, pastors will build my church, that church planners will build my church, that clergy will build my church. But Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Father, thank you for your word. God, help me to preach it with confidence, uh, humility, and most of all, anointing. Lord, I can't do this without you. I can't do it without you. This has to be from you because it is, God. It's your word. Help us to receive, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Lifehouse said amen. 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 Thank you. You can be seated. I uh, know it's hard to believe, but I went to college a few years ago. I know, I, I am a college graduate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And um, I got a degree, and again, this will come as a shock to you, in pastoral ministry, which you would think would train and give me all the information I needed to pastor church, but it didn't. It so did not, right? Uh, one of my classes, though, uh, that was regarded as one of the most difficult classes on campus was a class called History of Christianity, uh, History of Christianity was taught by a professor at the university. Lee University is where I went to school at, Cleveland, Tennessee. Yeah. And, and so the professor's name was Dr. Don Bowdle. 
And he was a living legend at Lee University. He has since gone on to be with the Lord. But he uh, started, I believe, in the 60s or the 70s. And he taught every decade up until the, uh, I think, sometime around 2012, 2014. When he passed away, literally until the day he passed away, he was in his office still working, still teaching, still a professor. I graduated in 2008, and I would go back to the university and, and had the privilege of speaking a few different classes. And I would see Dr. Battle coming out of his office, and it had been six or seven years since I had seen him and been in class with him. And he still called me by name, still knew me, still kept up with me. So it was really cool to, to have that kind of relationship with him. He also taught Greek, which was the most difficult class in the religion department. I know very well from experience. And then he also taught history of Christianity, along with systematic theology, but that's neither here nor there. History of Christianity, though, was something that interested me very greatly because I love Jesus, I love the church, and I love history. And so I was really excited to get into this class, but I also knew that this was a very difficult class to be a part of. And um, the first day of class, Dr. Battle, he takes like a, a, a hat or something. And speaking of hats, if you were a man, if you were a boy, or, uh, whatever, a male, and you went to his class, uh, as he said it, you were not allowed to do three things. The first one is you can't wear short britches. That was the first rule of being in Dr. Battle's class. The second rule is you could not wear open-toed shoes, which I can so get on board with that because no man worth his salt wears sandals anywhere but the pool or the beach. Sorry if I offended you. I stand by that statement. As Paul would say, that's me, not the Lord, but it's still kind of the Lord. Um, and you couldn't wear hats. You couldn't wear caps. That if you, you had to take your hat off as soon as you walked into his classroom. And I know if you didn't like it, he didn't care. Let me just tell you, that was the kind of man he was. And so uh, I think he took somebody's hat that wore it to class that day, and he put uh, some papers in it and sent it around the room, and we were to draw from the, pa from the hat what our, next, uh, for what our paper would be on for our final assignment of the year. Now, just a heads up, the normal way that I handled papers that I had to turn in in college was I found out my assignment, I waited three days until it was due, I went to the library, I checked out the books, and I stayed up for 36 hours straight writing a paper hoping to pass the class. Can I get a witness in a house today? Yeah, I feel the Lord in that. That's the normal way I did it. But I loved Dr. Battle. I had already had him for New Testament Greek. I had such respect for the man. He's someone I greatly admired. And so, not because I necessarily wanted to impress him, but because I cared for him and I wanted to do good and I also enjoyed history, I decided that the day I got my assignment, I would go to the library and start researching. And I spent several, several weeks researching uh, my topic and, and, and writing my paper and editing it and proofing it and doing all the things that I needed to do to turn it in. So I turned it in, and it was a couple of weeks till the end of the semester. I come back for what is either our final class or our next to final class. And Dr. Battle stands before the room, and he holds his hands like this, like he always did. He was a very soft-spoken man, but when he spoke, you listen. You know the kind of person. That I'm talking about, right? He didn't speak loudly, but his words were loud. Amen. You understand? And so he said to the class, Class, I'm very disappointed in you. It was a class of around 30 something people. And he said, Everyone in the room except two of you failed your papers. Guys, I'm sweating bullets, right? 
I'm going to graduate in a, in a year. I'm thinking, okay, th- this, this paper is, I believe, 50% of my final grade. It was one of those classes where you had a paper and a final exam, and that was it, right? So you had to do good on the paper. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? I don't know. College has gotten pretty soft lately, so it may not be that way anymore. But so, like, I'm sweating bullets. I'm thinking, I've worked so hard on this paper. Because, like, I'm looking around the class, and I'm like, I ain't one of the two. You know what I mean? You, you, know what you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you know if you're one of those type of people. I'm not one of the two. And, and so he, he's really like letting us have it. And he says, as he, he starts handing them out, and he says, I did say there were two who did not fail. In fact, the two who did not fail, each of them wrote one of the best papers I have ever received in my 40-year career as a professor at Lee University. And bless God, I got one of them. Presented to Dr. Battle, THD, PhD, two of them, right? In partial fulfillments for the requirements of history of Christianity, the Great Awakening, Revival, Reform, and Revolution. You want to read this already, don't you? (laughs) And he gave me an A, and he came by my desk, and he said to me, he said, Mr. Moorhead, I don't know if he knew my first name, Mr. Moorhead, I want you to know that your paper was master's level worthy. And that's a true story. I don't know where my diploma is, but I know where this is at all times. Can I just tell you? And I didn't do that great in all my other classes. I just need you to know that. But I did pretty good in history of Christianity because I love the class and I love the professor. Some of the stuff that I learned in that class is that the history of the church is a long, is an often beautiful, often terrible story of men and women who follow Jesus faithfully, sometimes straight into the jaws of martyrdom, sometimes into great reform, sometimes into great revival, right? But it is also all too often the story of power-hungry, money-hungry people, popes, rulers, kings, queens, preachers, pastors, who abuse the gospel for personal gain. I wish those stories were distant memories, but all too often we hear stories like that that are fresh in our world today even. There's no way that I can cover all of church history in a single sermon, although by the end of the message you may think I had tried to. Um, There's no way to cover it in a single semester for that matter. So that's not what I want to try to do today. But I do want to paint a picture, even if it is a little bit of an abstract picture, of where we've been, where we are, and where I believe the Lord is taking us in the future. And the reason why I want to start with where we've been is so that we can all be on the same page as we unite under the banner of Lifehouse Church, doing what God has called us to do together. Amen? Amen. Bobby, can you give me just a touch more monitor if that is at all possible? One more time I want to pray just because my heart needs it. Is that okay? Thank you. It would be weird if you said no. I wouldn't know what to do about that. (laughs) So, Father, Lord, I come to you one more time. I just want to settle myself in your presence, Lord, to be used by you. God, not to do this my way, but, Lord, to do it your way. Thank you that I get to do this. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In Matthew 16, we get our first mention of the word church 
in the Bible. Now, what is this church that Jesus is talking about? Anybody know the Greek word for church? Anybody just say it out loud if you know it. Ecclesia, you were in first service, that doesn't count. You probably knew it before that though, right? Yeah, yeah. Ecclesia, which in the literal sense essentially means a group of people set apart for a specific purpose. Uh, the word almost carries like political, maybe even some, this, some would call this a stretch, but militaristic overtones of people set apart for a specific purpose. But the way Jesus is presenting it, and I think the way the entire scriptures present this word church is to say that the church is a group of diverse people set apart and commissioned by God to go into all the world sharing the redemptive message of the gospel of Jesus Christ both through word and deed. That's the church. Amen? What's quiet today? I'm going to say it again so you guys get happy about it. The, gr- the church, you guys with me? Is a group of diverse people set apart and commissioned by God to go into all the world sharing the redemptive message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through both word and deed. And can I just tell you right now that if this isn't what your church does or what your church is aspiring to do, it's not a church. It's a club. Right? It's a hangout. It's where people get together and sing songs and, and read stories together. But it's not a church. And can I also tell you that if this isn't what you do or what you aspire to do in some shape, form, or fashion, then you're not a Jesus follower. How can we call ourselves followers of Jesus when we don't do the things that Jesus told us to do? How can we call ourselves a Christian? Now, the word Christian essentially means little Christ. You guys got to help me preach a little bit better today, okay? My voice is already shot, and if you don't give me a little bit of encouragement, I'm going to put the microphone down and go home, okay? You going to help me out? All right. So how can we call ourselves a Christian, which is a little Christ, if we don't do the things Christ did, if we don't do what he said for us to do, right? So, So we have some instructions that he's given us. After Jesus' resurrection, many people aren't really aware of this. He walked around for about 40 days. Glorified body and all. You know, you could put your hands where the holes were in his hands and the side, just like he did for, for Thomas, right? Let him do that. He walked around. He spoke. He taught. The apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth that Jesus spoke to over 500 people at one time. And if you don't believe me, you can go talk to them. Most of them are still around if you want to go talk to them and ask them about it, right? Which is one of the greatest proofs that we have that the resurrection actually occurred. And so while he was walking around, he was preaching, he was teaching, he was talking, and he gave us some final instructions. Matthew 28, he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? Go, get out of your comfort zone, get out of what's easy, get out of your rut, and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. In Mark, he says it this way, he said to them, go, the key, you, you catching the key phrase here, go, don't sit still, don't stay where you are, don't do what's easy, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. In Acts, Luke records it a little differently. And it's not necessarily that it's different. It's probably just a different occasion when Jesus said it. And so this is what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. It's interesting. This is the disciples talking. They 
are coming to Jesus and they ask him this question. They say, Lord, is it time now for you to restore the kingdom of Israel? Is it time to set back in its rightful place the throne of David? Is it time for, because you're the Messiah. Remember, Jesus had the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter, excuse me. Peter had the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. Now, Irby, if you go and you read Matthew 16, you'll discover something pretty interesting. Peter discovers that Jesus is the Messiah. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God, right? And Peter and Jesus says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. And this just wonderful moment of revelation and, and Peter having this great moment. And how many of us love having these great moments in the Lord? How many of you equally love when Jesus kicks you in the face? Because that's about what's to happen to Peter, right? Peter, Peter says that, and then, and then Jesus starts teaching them. And he says, hey, it won't be long now. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be offered up to the, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes. And then I'm going to be crucified. And then Peter takes Jesus by the hand. And the Bible says he begins to rebuke Jesus. Can you imagine? It's like, man, he's an idiot, but he's brave, right? What? What? John Way say, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Something like that. I don't know. That's just, anyway, I better stop talking about that. And so Peter says, Peter starts to rebuke Jesus because you got to understand what Peter's thinking. Peter is not thinking about my Savior dying for the sins of the world. Peter is thinking about my king coming and reestablishing the throne of David, kicking the Romans out of Israel so that we can have our own country, our own land back for ourselves. So if Jesus is talking about dying, how can he do those things? You get me? Right. And so here we are in Acts chapter 1. The disciples are still thinking earthly kingdom, not kingdom of God. Right? And so this is what he says in verse 7 of that chapter. He said to them, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. How many of you need to, would like to quote this to some of the Facebook and YouTube prophets of the day? It's not for you to know. Stop trying to figure that out. It's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But, in other words, Jesus says, but he, he's trying to take their attention off this one thing and turn it to the to the thing that really matters. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right? You will go and you will preach the gospel to the world is what he's saying. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching. He's ascending into heaven. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Verse 10. While he was going there, they were gazing into the heavens. And suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, these are angels, I'm pretty sure. He said, they said, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taking up into heaven, or taken from you into heaven, he will come in the same way that you have seen him go. In other words, what the angels were saying to them is, why are you staring into the sky? He's going to come again. So before he comes again, stop staring and go get to work doing what he told you to do. So, so that reveals to us two traps that the early church was tempted with that we, 2,000 years later, we are still tempted with. And the first one is this, the temptation to build castles instead of the kingdom, to build walls instead of bridges, to build beliefs and buildings instead of people and communities. 
And the second temptation is this, to stare at the sky begging for rescue instead of being his witnesses in our Jerusalem, which is our immediate sphere of influence, or our Judea and Samaria, which is our extended sphere of influence, and to the ends of the earth. Listen, we want Jesus to return, but we don't want him to return for an incomplete church. And the only way the church can be what he's called it to be is if men and women of God will either stop building their kingdoms and start building his kingdom or stop staring at the sky begging for rescue going, oh God, it's gotten so bad down here. You know why it's gotten so bad down here? It's because the church has become anemic, weak, and complacent. The only people we can blame for the condition of our world is not the world. How can we expect sinners to not act like sinners how can we expect people who have not experienced the transformational power of Jesus to live like they have the only way they will experience it is if men and women of God stop being cowards who are too afraid to share the good news of Jesus with someone they work with because they're afraid, you know, it might cost me my job. And listen, I'm not trying to belittle that. That's a big deal. I'm not trying to say that's not something that's not important. But what I am saying is that the Great Commission and sharing the gospel of Jesus is infinitely more important than any excuse you could ever muster up. The church is the reason why the world is the way it is, for better and for worse. Because we've prioritized religion instead of an experience with God. We've told people you can't come into our churches unless you cut your hair or unless you let it grow out, unless you wear dresses or unless you wear pants. You better not wear a hat in church. You better come in. You better not raise your hands. Oh, you better raise your hands. We, we, just, we just make it so hard so often. The church has come up with so many rules. It sounds a lot like what Jesus confronted in the Pharisees and the scribes. Essentially, he was saying to them, you know the word, but you don't know the one who wrote it. Which that goes back to what I was saying earlier. Listen, we got to get hungry for his presence, for his spirit. We can't be chasing more blessings. Listen, I, I'm all for blessings. I love blessings. But you know when my girls, my three daughters, get the most from me? It's not when they ask. It's when they just come up and they love me. It's when they just come up and say, Daddy, can I sit with you? Absolutely, you can sit with me. And they put their arm in my arm, and then they look over at me, and they say, can I have ice cream? You know you sure can have ice cream. Let's go get you some ice cream. Oh, there's none in the freezer. Let's go to the store and get some ice cream. That's when my kids can get anything they want from me. Not because they're trying to, to get something, you know, what's the word, I'm like con me, but because they really just want to be with me. Listen, when you just decide and make up your mind that I'm going to seek his face and I'm not going to seek his hand, you get all of it. You get everything he's got to offer. And when you fall in love with his presence, when you fall in love with his goodness, it will overflow out of you like rivers of living water. And you won't have to think in your mind, should I talk to them about Jesus? They'll come up to you and they'll say, can you talk to me about Jesus? 
Okay. Y'all praying for my voice? You need to be. I get so perturbed when I hear people say, the world's so bad. Jesus, come quickly. And I get it. I understand. It's not wrong to want him to come back. The, the problem lies in your motivation. You don't want to see Jesus. You just don't want to have to see them. Am I meddling? That's, that's your problem. Your motivation's messed up. You, ain't, you don't care about Jesus. Because if you cared about Jesus, you'd care about the people he died for. You, you'd care about the people that he laid down his life for. And he's given you the good news. And instead of being a witness, which in the original languages literally translates to martyr, Instead of being a witness for what he's done in your life, you're just a gospel glutton. You can't share the good news with anybody because you're too much of a coward to talk about it. Can I just tell you this again? You can't call yourself a follower of Jesus if you don't do what Jesus said do. You can't. You can't do it. I mean, you can, but it doesn't count. Can I say it like that? You're fake. You're a phony. The good news is there's grace for you. Repent. Turn from that. That's wickedness. That's, that's sinfulness. If there ever is sinfulness, that's sinfulness. Turn from that. Turn to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Ask for a new heart. That he would take from you a heart of stone. That he would give you a heart of flesh. That breaks for the people his heart breaks for. That you would love the people he loves. That you would begin to pray, God, help me to see lost people the way you see lost people. And I guarantee you, you will stop being annoyed by their sin and instead you will pray for their salvation. So, that was my intro. I wanted to read the entirety of Acts chapter 2. I won't do that because... That's your homework. You've got to go home and read Acts chapter 2. I'll summarize it for you, though. Day of Pentecost comes. Pentecost is a feast that was celebrated by the Jewish people to commemorate when God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, what's cool about Pentecost being the day that the Holy Spirit descends on the church and the church is born is, is Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, specifically in Jeremiah, but I believe also in Psalms and Isaiah, it is prophesied that a day is coming when God will send his spirit and he will write his law on people's hearts and not on tablets of stone. Which is exactly what happens when the Holy Spirit fills a believer, right? That we don't live under the law anymore because now the spirit lives in us and we're led by the spirit. And according to Galatians 5, if we're led by the spirit, we're not under the law. Does that make sense? The reason why I'm not under the law is because I, don't, I have the law inside of me, right? I don't have to wake up every day and read a list of ways to not cheat on my wife because I love my wife and I don't want to cheat on my wife. I want to honor my wife because I care for her and I love her. And so the same is true also when the Spirit of God lives in you. You don't have to wake up and remind yourself, well, today I better not covet. Today I better not lust. Today I better not cuss. Today I better not do whatever I need to do because the Spirit of God lives in you and it changes the way you behave from the inside out, not from the outside in. 
Man, I'm preaching so many different sermons already. Day of Pentecost, as I was saying a second ago. 120 are gathered in the upper room. Uh, Acts 2 says there's like a violent rushing wind that fills the room and tongues that look like flames of fire landed on them, descended on the 120, and they were filled with the Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. A lot of people have questions about tongues. A lot of people are worried that tongues are weird. Let me just say this. First of all, it's in the Bible. It's okay. We're not making this up, all right? It's scriptural. It's all throughout there. Just read it for yourself. The second thing I would say about tongues is if you think it's weird, just remember that we believe that a virgin had a baby who died and rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. It's all weird, okay? But normal's not working out so good for everybody else. So I'm okay with weird, right? So they begin to speak in other tongues. Now, let me just tell you real quick, these tongues are, are essentially, they're speaking other languages that people who are in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost hear. People from all over the area, all around, 15 or 16 different nationalities and different languages. And what happens is these people from Rome and other parts of the world, they hear their languages in their dialects being spoken. And they look and they see who's speaking and it's a bunch of Galilean fishermen who don't know left from right, much less how to speak Cappadocian. I don't even know what Cappadocian is. I just know that's one of the people listed there. Right? And so they go, how are they, how are they speaking this language? How are they speaking this perfect dialect? You know, they didn't have Rosetta Stone back then, okay? You know what I'm talking about? And so, so they, they, they hear that being done, and then, then there's other people gather there, and they go, these guys are drunk. They're acting crazy. They're talking gibberish. They're, they're praying and they're just, they're drunk. And then Peter hears that, and I love what Peter does. He got, he, the first thing he says, it's nine in the morning. We ain't drunk. I just imagine he was like, we don't start drinking until after lunch at least. And then this uneducated fisherman who tucked tail and ran away denying Jesus because a little girl asked him if he knew who Jesus was just 50 days earlier preaches like a man set on fire by God because he was a man set on fire by God. And if you'll get filled with the Holy Spirit, he'll set your heart on fire too. And you'll start doing some things and saying some things that aren't normal for you either. You get filled with the Spirit, it'll change you. He preaches this message. Man, it's so good. It's so eloquent. Go read it in Acts 2. And, and I love this. There was no, everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If, if what I just said touched your heart and you want to give your life to Jesus, slip your hand up so nobody can see it but me. Now, Peter's preaching. And I love what it, the scripture says. It says, the listeners were cut to the heart. And they come up to Peter. It's like he didn't make the altar call. They did. Right? They run to Peter. And they go, Peter, what must we do to be saved? Repent. That's the first thing he said. Turn from your sin. Listen, can I just tell you, this is not my message. This is not in my notes. But unconfessed intentional sin and following Jesus cannot coexist. I'm not saying we may not mess up. We may not drop the ball. Hey, I'm, Paul said I'm chief of sinners. I'm, I feel that. I feel like I'm one of the best there is of, of screwing stuff up, okay? 
I, I, if there's anything in this world I'm good at, it's messing up or putting my foot in my mouth, right? But that's not the same thing as choosing to live in sin when you know it's sin. It's not the same thing. You can't do it. I'm sorry, I love you, Jesus loves you, but they are incompatible with one another. You have to repent of your sin. That, me- that does not mean you ask for forgiveness. That means sin is this way, Jesus is this way, see you later, I'm following Jesus. And so these people get saved, and that day the church grows from 120 followers of Jesus to 3,000 followers of Jesus in one sermon. I mean, I feel like I've preached some good sermons before, but I ain't ever preached one that good. I'm going to tell you, too, if you don't like big churches, you wouldn't like the first church. I... I know I've had people tell me, and they're probably in the room, and I'm not making fun of you. I'm not calling you out. I'm just being a pastor. They'll say things like, you know, I, I, just, I was going to so, such and such church, but it just started getting too big. I didn't know anybody. And so now I want to come here where it's small. And I praise God, it ain't that small. It's getting bigger every week. Not because I'm a good pastor, but because he's a good Lord. I'm going to tell you, We want this church to grow. Not because we want to pastor, not because I want to pastor a big church. Can I just be real with you for a moment? Like, honestly. I would say in 2021, the Lord changed my heart in a way like it had never been done before. I walked through an incredibly dark season personally. There was nothing really going wrong externally in my life, but it was very much internal. I was incredibly depressed. I've talked about this before. This is not new news. If you're new to this church, then let me just tell you something straight up. Like, I don't keep secrets from the church, all right? You, everybody knows my business. It got so bad during that season, though, that I actually contemplated suicide very seriously for a long time. Again, this isn't new news. It may be new to you just because you may be new yourself, but, and that's okay. And I hope you're okay by me saying this, but it's the truth. It was an incredibly difficult season. And I'm not really sure what, why it happened, what was going on. I know what, when the tide began to shift is when I began to spend more time in his word and more time in prayer. And I know that sounds so cliche. Oh, you're struggling? Read your Bible and pray. But I did. And it worked. I know. Wow, who would have thunk it? But one of the things the Lord did in me that season of my life is he really humbled me. I began to understand that all the things that I thought I was good at were really just gifts from him. I began to understand that all the blessings that I thought that I'm a man and I work and I do this and I do that, he's just, he's just good. And, and I went from really caring about numbers in the church to probably to a fault, not caring very much at all. I'm not worried about how big this church gets in terms of what we can say, how many we had, or how many got saved even, or how many got baptized. I don't put that stuff on social media. I don't talk about that a lot because that's not what it's about to me, at least not anymore. But I want this church to grow because in my heart of hearts, I want to plunder hell and populate heaven.
And I say this in love, but if this is your church and you would say, Pastor, I don't want our church to get too big, what you were saying essentially is, I hope they go to hell. Uh, me knowing everybody is more important than them coming to a relationship with God. And listen, if you want to go to a place where everybody knows your name, there's a bar down the road for you, right? There's a club down the road for you. Or there's a life group you could join. Can I, can I just... If you miss a few weeks of, of Sundays here and nobody calls you, nobody contacts you, I know the temptation that you have is to be mad. Nobody even missed me. You know why they didn't miss you? Because you haven't been missable. You haven't been involved. You haven't been helping. You haven't been, you haven't been fellowshipping. You've been just coming in after church starts and leaving before it's over. Because you don't want to get too close. You don't want to get too connected. And then you think it's everybody else's fault because nobody missed you. I'm not telling you this in anger. I hope you hear my heart. This is, this is coming from nothing but love. The only way people can miss you is if they know you. And the only way they can know you is if you step out of what's comfortable and what's easy and get involved. And get on board. Can you just give me a good amen just to make me feel better about myself? Are y'all Okay. Kristen told me not to say that last night, but I felt the Lord in it. You still think I shouldn't have said it? I do want to encourage you. Get involved. Join a serve team. Join a life group. Life groups start this week. Get involved. Show up to midweek on Wednesday nights. Listen, everybody's got a job, and just about everybody in this church has kids. You don't have an excuse. Just do it. Just show up. Stop being lazy. Get up and get on. Man, I'm so bold. <laughs> Acts 2 ends this way. I love it. I will read this part. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved and the church continued to grow and praise God the church has continued to grow for now two millennia 2,000 years but the truth can we just be real for a moment the church has also missed the mark many times over those last 2,000 years when it pursued earthly riches instead of eternal wealth, when it chose self-preservation instead of self-sacrifice, when it only looked inward but failed to ever look outward, when it counted programs and polity and politics more important than people. But Jesus said, I will build my church. Aren't you glad? He said, I'll do it. I'll take care of that. 
And from those small beginnings, the church has persevered over the last 2,000 years, enduring severe persecution, enduring a full-blown protest which sparked a reformation, and far too many of its own missteps and misdeeds to count. And today, from that 120 faithful, there are now 2.4 billion professing followers of Christ all over the planet. Now, fast forward a couple of thousand years, and here we are at LifeHouse. LifeHouse, I'm going to give you some quick history just so you know who we are as a church. People are moving to get baptized. That's why people are moving. You be still, though. Y'all don't go nowhere. In March of 1971, LifeHouse was officially born. It has seen a lot, though, over these last 53 years. Anybody alive in 1971? Anybody in the room? Yeah. a couple. I saw, I saw that hand. You put it down real fast, though. Yeah. In 1971, Lifehouse Church existed. It was called Bethel Assembly of God. It's had multiple pastors, multiple buildings, multiple locations, many ups, many downs, but also many countless lives impacted by the gospel of Jesus. And yes, it was called Bethel Assembly of God. Now it's Lifehouse. We are an Assemblies of God church, by the way. To some of you, that means absolutely nothing. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. To some of you, it means a lot. The Assemblies of God was formed in 1914 following the Azusa Street Revival. Anybody familiar with the Azusa Street Revival? Yeah. Here's my my prayer. You see, the Azusa Street Revival sparked a Pentecostal, spirit-filled, full gospel move that began to sweep over the entire country from the west to the east. And I'm believing, how many of you from the west coast or from the other side of the Mississippi, raise your hand. I'm believing in the name of Jesus that this is just a sign that he's going to do it again. He's bringing the west to the east. The assemblies formed in 1914. And what it does for us today, it gives us structure and accountability. You see, I'm an ordained minister in the assemblies of God. I can't just do whatever I want to do, despite what the rumors have said. I don't have that luxury. I have to renew my credentials every year. And every year when I renew them, I am constantly surprised that they said yes. It's like they don't listen to any of my sermons. It gives us exponential impact in outreach, evangelism, missions, church planning, ministry training. We can do so much more together than we can apart. Amen? Amen. It provides fellowship and support. Our camps, conventions, friends who are pastors. Are there negative things about being part of a denomination or a fellowship like the Assemblies of God? Absolutely there are. Absolutely. Tribalism. Feelings of superiority, feelings of inferiority, abuse of power or control, among some others, but at their best. And this is going to be shocking to you because we live in an era now where everybody wants to be non-denom. Non-denom. And that's fine. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with that. But non-denom is a denomination unto itself at this point. But the thing about denominations, at their best, that's the key phrase, at their best, They don't divide, they unite. They bring people together who have like mind, like beliefs, like goals, and they give them an opportunity to join together to move forward in the calling that God has given them. 
You see, we're not competing with the Baptists. We're not competing with the Methodists. We're not competing with the Church of God. We're not competing with the Presbyterians. We're not even competing with the non-denominationals. We are for them. God, I want every church in Oak Ridge to grow. I want every pastor to be blessed. I want every staff member to be blessed. They're not our enemy. We're, we're playing for the same team. We, we, we just see a few little things. Sometimes they're not even doctrinally. They're just the way the churches are organized. We just see a few things a little differently. We call them close-handed and open-handed issues. On the, on the close-handed issues, we almost always agree completely. But we carry a few open-handed issues where we see things a little differently. We may want to worship a little differently. We may want to govern our churches a little differently. And that is okay. Now, certainly bad things happen, but they don't happen because an organization is bad. They happen because there's a bad apple in the bunch, right? So why am I telling you all of this? You guys okay? It's been a, it's been a while, right? I hadn't preached. It felt like all month, so I had a lot up in me, okay? I had, a lot, I had to get a lot out. I'm telling you this because we are Lifehouse. And I want us all on the same page, moving in the same direction so that we can accomplish all that God has for us. But we cannot do all that God has for us if we are not unified. If we are still bickering with one another over petty arguments, we cannot do all God has called us to do. If we're still holding out, waiting on the perfect opportunity or the perfect day to, to, to jump all in, right, or to go all in, then we can't do all God's called us to do. If, if we're finding ourselves divided or if we find, if we begin to inspect in our hearts and we realize there's bitterness in there, there's resentment in there against someone in this room or someone who follows Jesus, right, then, then, I can't be who God's called me to be. Not really, not completely, not totally. And, and I can't join with you to do God, all that God has called us to do because there's something living in me that I have not yet given to the Lord. And we're going to talk about healthy relationships, right? We're going to talk about gospel responsibility. We're going to talk about generosity. We're going to talk about serving. We're going to talk about our mission, our mandate, and our message. We're going to do all of that in the coming weeks. But what I want today is for us to come under the banner, not of Lifehouse. I mean, it's just a name, but it's, it's our name. That we would come under this banner together and we would say we are Lifehouse. And more than any other thing that we desire, we want this house to be his house. Amen. That that would be the ultimate cry of our heart. That this house would be your house, Lord. And that in us and through us, and around us, God, that you would have your way. And it doesn't start with everybody else doing what they need to do. It starts with me doing what I need to do. It starts with you being responsible, being a man or a woman of God, and doing what you know you need to do. Maybe it's as simple as walking to someone after this service and saying, you know what? I'm sorry. I mistreated you. I said something. I did this. And owing them an apology and giving it to them. Maybe it's going to someone else and forgiving them. 
Maybe it's someone that when they walk in the room, you walk the other way. It's time to go meet them after church and say, listen, we need to talk. We've got some things to work out. It's not all about us being the same, but it's about us being on the same page, right? Moving the same direction, chasing the same God. Real quick, I'm almost done. I promise this time. There are no perfect churches. You know that, right? The reason why there's no perfect churches is because there's no perfect people. And if you ever find the perfect church, you better not go there because you'll mess it up. But we are the body of Christ, right? A person who has all their parts, all their body parts, all their organs, you know, minus a gallbladder or an appendix or some tonsils, whatever. They may not be perfect, but they are complete, right? They're a complete body. The biblical understanding of perfect is not without flaw, but it is to be whole, complete. So if, if you were to look over in the seat next to you and you saw an eyeball sitting there, uh, work with me now. If you looked over in the seat next to you and you saw a, a dismembered hand just sitting there, right? Or a, a foot, God forbid, a big toe, right? A big toe. If there's just a femur in the chair next to you, right? Raise your hand if that would freak you out. And if your hand is not up, you need to go see a psychiatrist after his church. You know why that would freak you out? It's because it is not normal to see parts of the body not part of a body. The same is true of God's church. It is not normal to see parts of, and you are a part of the body. You might be a gallbladder, but we still need you, okay? And we ain't let no surgeon take you out. You, you might be a big toe, but we're keeping you around. You might be a pinky. You might be an eyeball. You might be a nose. You might be something else. I ain't going to say it out loud. But we need you. And you need us. Because parts separated from the body are not normal, whether we're talking physically or spiritually. We are the body of Christ. We are in this together. And there is no concept in the New Testament of a Christian not being connected to the body of Christ. It doesn't exist. It makes no sense. And when we come together as the body of Christ, each of us loving one another, serving one another, praying for one another, encouraging one another, giving grace to one another, giving the benefit of the doubt to one another, loving someone enough that when they are deeply in the wrong, that we go to them in love, not anger, to have a heartfelt conversation with them, not because we want to call them out, but because we love our brother or we love our sister and we want to help them. Amen? When we, when we decide that we're going to compensate for each other's weakness, weaknesses instead of pointing them out. And then we choose to benefit from each other's strengths. That is when the imperfect becomes perfect. That is when the body of Christ goes from being a disjointed, dismembered mess into a focused body that can do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And that is what I want for Lifehouse. And more than I want it, I can assure you, that is what the Lord wants for this house. Amen. Will you stand with me?
I know that I just picked on this, but I, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm not Peter, okay? I can do it. I got to do it my way. If you're in the room today, nobody's looking around, and if you are looking around, stop. I said bow your heads and close your eyes. But if you're in the room today and you're struggling, maybe you're just far from the Lord. Maybe, maybe you really have never truly given your life to Jesus. Maybe you have, but maybe, man, life is just hitting you left and right, and you're just going through some trials and some tribulations. And your life is just feeling a little bit like a mess right now with no one looking around but me. I, and I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to make you come up. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to, to know who you are, pray with you where you are, and to the best of my ability, remember you so I can pray for you later. But if that's you, you just lift your hand real high in the air so I can see it and pray for you. I'll lift, keep it up for me just a second. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I ask you to touch these men and women. Lord, I don't know what they're walking through. I don't know what they're dealing with. But I know all too well in my own life, sometimes things have just been a mess. And things have just gotten out of whack. And so, God, I ask you, Father, because of your goodness, because of your love, that you would reach and you would touch these men and women. God, that you would give them peace that passes understanding. God, that you would give them joy that goes against uh, any circumstances. God, that you would give them wisdom when it comes to making decisions. And, and God, that you would give them help when they don't feel like they know what to do. Lord, that you would lead them. God, if provisions are short, Lord, that they would come to know you not just as Savior, but that they would come to know you as provider, as helper. And Lord, that more than anything else, that they would experience you, they would encounter your love, and God, that it would lead to lasting transformation in their life. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Now, with everyone looking around, this is a little strange, and we're going to celebrate, and we're going to have baptisms in just a moment, but if, if you're in this, and if you're not, it's okay. I'm not going to like look at you later and call you out. But if you're ready, I mean, I'm talking like you're done playing church. You know, little kids, they get together, they play family, they play house. A lot of, a lot of big kids in big church keep playing church. I'm done playing church. I'm ready to seek his face. I'm ready to join together with my brothers and sisters in Christ to, to live out the great commission that he's called us to do to go into the world preaching the gospel. If that's you, if you're ready, would you just lift up both hands and start to worship him for a few moments? Come on, lift up your hands. Lord, I'm with you. Lord, we're with you. We're ready. We're ready. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would help us, that you would empower us, that you would lead us, and that you would give us everything we need to do everything you've called us to do. God, that you would help us to lead in humility, that you would help us to lead in love. God, that you would help us to serve and to be generous with our time, talent, and treasure. Lord, that you would help us to deny ourselves, Lord, not because that's fun, but because that's what you've called us to do. Lord, that you would help us to repent 
repent and to turn from sin and to turn to you. God, that you would help us to forgive those who have hurt us. And Lord, to, and to let go of bitterness and anger and resentment, God, and to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. You said in your word that the world would know that we belong to you by our love for one another. And Jesus, I pray more than ever in the history of Lifehouse Church in the last 53 years that this church would be a place of love that people would know that man they must belong to Jesus because of how much they care for one another how much they love one another how much they celebrate one another how much they have compassion for one another God let it be so that this house above everything else would be your house in Jesus name and Lifehouse said Amen.